Donald Trump was impeached for a second time, this time with the support of 10 Republicans as 20,000 troops occupy Washington, D.C. in the run-up to Joe Biden's inauguration. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. And I'm here with our host, Brian Becker. Brian, we had an amazing seminar last night with you where uh, a number of our patrons, our supporters joined and uh, asked a number of really, really great questions, really important questions about how we figure out what is going on, where this fascist movement has come from, where we go from here, and what's actually happening as so many more details come out. And I got to say, it was it was really nice. I think um, the three of us have all really enjoyed how this is becoming a really strong community of, of people who are engaging, who are um, supporting us and, you know, being able to really put out this content, which has been really, really great. Um, but it's really, you know, it feels a lot more like a community than I think I've experienced in our, our past shows. It's been really, really good. If you go to patreon.com slash the socialist program, we'll have another seminar coming up in February. Plus, we've recorded both December and January seminar, so you can watch those. So we really encourage uh, people who are supporting the show, who are listening to this right now, who aren't patrons yet, to go on to patreon.com slash the socialist program and join us. In other news, we've also got an extra show for this week. So um, today is our episode, our Thursday episode called The Real Story, and we'll be diving in, as I noted in the intro, into everything that's gone on in the last week since our last The Real Story episode, all of the updates, the FBI briefing that happened this week, um, a lot of new information coming out. Uh, And tomorrow, we're going to release uh, a really good interview with Professor Gerald Horn, one of the greatest, smartest, uh, most analytical historians who exists, who's also one of the most prolific people. Um, He puts out several books a year. Uh, He writes them faster than I can read them. Um, And we're going to be talking with him about the political economy and racism in boxing, um, a a really important topic. And we'll talk with him a little bit, too, about the assault um, on January 6th. But uh, now that I've said all of that for our listeners, we're very excited about all those shows. Um, Brian, there's 20,000 troops now filling up Washington, D.C., the city that we live in. Um, the downtown area is completely shut down. Um, streets all around downtown and even further north, close to my neighborhood, are are shut down. And there's troops just occupying the Capitol building. Yeah, I tweeted uh, in my my personal uh, Twitter account, which is Brian Becker DC, Nicole, that uh, a picture from the front page of well, I think it's the New York Times. It's also in the Washington Post. It's in all the other major media. It's all of these U.S troops uh, lying on the floor of the Capitol. Some of them are sitting up. Uh, they have M16s. Uh, the siege of the Capitol has has taken another turn. That is, uh, U.S. troops are now protecting the Capitol by occupying it with a large number of armed forces, and they're there 24-7. And they're going to remain there uh, through the inauguration on January 20th, and they're going to remain there beyond January 20th. 
And as you said, Nicole, it's extraordinary here. Uh, Washington, D.C. is a frozen zone. You know, every four years, the U.S. government makes a big deal about the inauguration. A new presidential inaugural committee is formed. All the corporations line up to make donations, uh, which is just another form of legalized bribery in American politics. And the Trump presidential inaugural committee, more than $100 million was donated mainly by corporations to show their fealty and fidelity to the incoming administration. It would have been the same way if it was a Democrat. It's just sort of a money-making operation. But it's also touted as the, the, the exercise of the peaceful transfer of power. Large numbers of people come. They sit in bleachers. Other people come in protest uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue, America's Main Street. It shows the durability and sturdiness of American governance. It shows that America is an exceptional democracy. Win or lose, the two ruling class parties rotate and, and peacefully take uh, or leave office with and, and the other one takes the helm. But none of that is happening now, Nicole. We are in military occupation. This city is locked down. And of course, the president of the United States yesterday was impeached for the second time. Now that's historic. No US president has been impeached twice. But it's also interesting and important for our listeners to also think about this fact. Before the impeachment of Bill Clinton in, 19, in the 1990s, there had been only one other impeachment in U.S. history. That was Andrew Johnson, um, a, a slave-supporting vice president to Lincoln who became president after Lincoln was assassinated. Uh, he was impeached by the radical Republicans who were the abolitionists, the anti-racists. Uh, he wasn't convicted in the Senate, so he wasn't removed from office. But now we have two of the last four presidents of the United States, Bill Clinton, then there was he was impeached, then there was George, George W. Bush, uh, he wasn't impeached, Obama not impeached, but then Trump impeached not once but twice. So two out of the last four presidencies have had impeachment. Now, the last impeachment of Donald Trump was frankly ridiculous. It was based on a conference call that you know, 50 people were on listening to it. It wasn't a big secret. He was twisting the arm of the president of Ukraine, wanting the president of Ukraine to open up an investigation into Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, uh, who became the you know on the board of directors and making like fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars a month uh, on this oil company uh, or gas company, even though he has no experience in energy. Uh, clearly, it was sort of a payoff from the new Ukrainian government that took power in a U.S.-supported fascist mob-led coup d'etat in February 2014. But that impeachment was really just theater. Maybe this impeachment is theater too, Nicole, but the grounds for impeachment are far different. Uh, let's just talk about what the um, what Congress passed yesterday. What what did they say? What were the articles of impeachment? Noteworthy that 10 Republicans this time voted for impeachment, including Liz Cheney, number three in the House of Representatives. In the last impeachment of Trump, there were no Republicans who voted for impeachment. It was a strictly party line vote. Anyway, let's talk about impeachment for a moment. 
Right. And even um, when Bill Clinton was impeached, only five Democrats voted for uh, a couple of the impeachment articles in, in Clinton's impeachment, which is the equivalent, right? Because Bill Clinton was a Democrat. Um, so, yeah, this is it's an even bigger level of, of bipartisanness in terms of uh, impeachment. So the resolution that um, was passed yesterday impeaching Donald Trump reads, resolved that Donald John Trump, President of the United States, is impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors and that the following article of impeachment be exhibited to the United States Senate. Article of impeachment ex exhibited by the House of Representatives of the United States of America in the name of itself and of the people of the United States of America against Donald John Trump, President of the United States of America, in maintenance and support of its impeachment against him for high crimes and misdemeanors. Article 1. Incitement of Insurrection. The Constitution provides that the House of Representatives, quote, shall have the sole power of impeachment, unquote, and that the president, quote, shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, unquote. Further, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution prohibits any person who has, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against, unquote, the United States from, quote, holding any office under, under the United States. That, I mean, that's a strong statement. It is very clearly impeaching him for the incitement of insurrection. Yeah, and the 14th Amendment and the prohibition of insurrection was, of course, directed against the leaders of the secessionist movement, the Confederacy, the slaveocracy, who took up an armed struggle against the United States when uh, Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860 and before, in fact, he even took office. Uh, that's another story, important story. We'll, we'll talk about that in other shows. But um, I want to talk about what this impeachment actually means. And Nicole, I have to say, and I, I think it's really important, as you mentioned, we had the great webinar for Patreon, patrons last night, a really good discussion. That was Wednesday night. It was after our discussion with Richard Wolf yesterday and after our discussion the day before uh, in the in the news section segment of this show. And in both of those segments, we were talking about how passive and paralyzed the U.S. ruling class seemed to be, including this very powerful state apparatus in the face of uh, a, a right wing fascist led mob that took over, seized control of the U.S. Congress for several hours, dispersed members of the Congress who were in hiding. The mob was chanting, hang Mike Pence, hang him, hang him. Uh, if they had found him, they would have killed him. Uh, they were, you know, they were looking for Nancy Pelosi. They were looking for Mitch McConnell. They weren't Republican or Democrat. They were incited by Trump. They were fascist-led forces. And, you know, in the face of this assault that you humiliated the U.S. on the world stage and clearly uh, offered a clear and present danger to members of Congress, uh, there seemed to be like such a little reaction. I mean, yes, Trump lost his Twitter account, but is that the uh, penalty for seditious conspiracy? You lose your, your, your social media platform, even though that's important for Trump? I mean, seditious conspiracy carries 20 years in prison. And then the other thing that we were talking about was 
Um, you know, impeachment at this point, when Trump is just leaving office, is really nothing more than an exercise in political theater by the Democrats. So that seemed weak too. But I'd have to say, after our discussion with Richard Wolf, as yesterday progressed, and we talked about this last night on our webinar for patrons, the situation has changed. The paralysis that gripped the uh, the U.S. ruling class and its capitalist state have given way, and the military has spoken. Uh, members of the Republican Party leadership are defecting from Trump. Big capitalist corporations and banks are breaking from Trump. They're cutting ties to Trump. Trump is politically isolated. He, uh, in fact, uh, instead of being all, you know, sort of strong and saying he has nothing to apologize for and uh, egging on his fascist supporters that he's done in the last couple of days, he uh, did a televised speech last night. It was about five minutes long. It sounded like a different Donald Trump. Now that the all of these this coalition of ruling class factions have come together really in a strong way, including the repressive arm of the state against Trump and against his supporters, uh, the situation has changed dramatically. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to also use a statement that was put out on Liberation News that uh, last night uh, that assessed this new situation. Uh, the title of that statement is The Paralysis Ends Trump, Fascism, and the Capitalist State. And you can find this amazingly good analysis at liberationnews.org. We're going to talk about that. We don't want people to just share these articles and like them. We want them to read them uh, and we want to talk about them so we actually understand what this analysis says. But let's start, Nicole, with uh, some audio clips from from a, a different sounding Donald Trump. My fellow Americans, I want to speak to you tonight about the troubling events of the past week. As I have said, the incursion of the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. It angered and appalled millions of Americans across the political spectrum. Okay, so that's Donald Trump throwing uh, his supporters, who he said, remember when, when the thing was going on, he came out when he got cold feet in the middle of the uprising and when it devolved into death, chaos, and bedlam, he came out and said, I love you. You're doing great. This is to the people who had stormed the Capitol. You're right. This was a stolen election, but go home now. So he was telling them, look, we're not going to do it today, but we love you. We love you. Now let's, I mean, just listen to how the, the newly contrite and changed tone of Donald Trump. Here's another audio clip. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. These are the people he was saying, I love you, I love you. And by the way, the only reason they were in Washington on January 6th, of course, and railing at the ellipse in front of the White House, 16 blocks from the Capitol, 
was that Donald Trump was about to send them that day right before the certification of the new president. And that is what you would call the rule of law in the United States. It's a lawful exercise that takes place every four years at this time. Uh, It was designed to stop that process from happening. Uh, The only reason they marched on the Capitol is Donald Trump Donald Trump told them to march on the Capitol, and we played audio clips before, and people have heard it for themselves. Donald Trump was saying, we have to fight. You can't show weakness. Uh, and, and Mike Pence is the enemy, and you know, or maybe he didn't say the enemy, but he said he's going to be very, very unhappy with him. And then, of course, people were chanting, hang Mike Pence when they took over the Capitol. Let's hear another clip from Donald Trump, the new Donald Trump, uh, again, that we heard from last night. America is a nation of laws. Those who engaged in the attacks last week will be brought to justice. Oh, my goodness. So Donald Trump is throwing his fascist minions overboard. Uh, He's, of course, the chief executive, the Department of Justice. The FBI has announced and we'll play some other audio clips that they're going for seditious conspiracy. Donald Trump was saying he loved these people before. He's the one who brought them to Washington. He's the one who incited them. He was the one who said, I'll meet you at the Capitol. Uh, He's the one who was calling senators and members of Congress while they were cowering and sheltering in place and asking them to now change their vote. But now he says, you're going to be brought to justice. Wow. How atypical for Donald Trump to abandon former allies. Uh, But that's Donald Trump. He uses the fascists uh, and they use him. But when he's, you know, when the when the the wagons are being circled from different sectors of the capitalist establishment against Donald Trump, he can quickly and easily, as he did last night, say bye. Let's hear one more clip from Donald Trump last night. In Washington, D.C., we are bringing in thousands of National Guard members to secure the city and ensure that a transition can occur safely and without incident. Like all of you, I was shocked and deeply saddened by the calamity at the Capitol last week. Nicole, he is the champion of the peaceful transition. He was so upset about that calamity. Amazing. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. And as you mentioned, a complete about face. Last week, we played myriad clips from Trump, from a different Trump, as you noted, a completely different Trump who was uh, completely inciting um, this this violence. But I think, Brian, I, I, I want to hear your thoughts a little bit more about um, the, the paralysis being over, because it took six days, six full days before any federal agency had any sort of press conference, any sort of comments, anything. I mean, we all watched in horror last Wednesday, January 6th, when these this fascist mob was uh, delicately and politely escorted out of the Capitol and sent on their merry way um, with, you know, with police just standing there helping them leave safely. But then days later, we saw the FBI putting out reports for, oh, well, now we want more information about who these people are. Here's some photos when you didn't need photos when they were all standing right in front of you. But, you know, it took six days for there to be any commentary about what actually happened and any plan to be released for, you know, what kind of charges are they actually going to be bringing? Um, so let tell let's tell our audience a little bit more about that paralysis and um, and then what happened to actually end that paralysis. Yeah, I think it's very important. Um, again, you're right, Nicole, and we've been talking about this. Um, 
the the Capitol Police are 2,300 strong. There are more than 20 police agencies in Washington, D.C. You have Metropolitan Police Department, that's D.C. Police, the National Park Police. Uh, you have the Capitol Police, that's a force of 2,300. Their only role is to defend the Capitol building. Then you have the FBI, the NSA, the State Department Police, the uh you know, there are there are literally more than 20 police agencies here. Perhaps D.C. has more police per capita than any city in the country, maybe any city in the world. And yet, in spite of the fact that there was ample knowledge and the FBI is now reporting that there were many reports coming in that people were coming to Washington on January 6th to go to war. That was the language that the FBI was using. Uh in spite of all of that, the Capitol wasn't reinforced. The soldiers, or the, I mean, the police were told, don't use your weapons, don't use pepper spray, don't use tear gas. They weren't dressed in riot gear. Uh, they, when they asked for reinforcements ahead of time, they, they were told no. The U.S. Uh, sergeant at arms in the House of Representatives, Paul Irving, denied the request by Stephen Sun, the Capitol Police Chief, uh, for additional resources and forces beforehand and even during the takeover he said no he said he didn't quote like the optics irving resigned but then he fled i mean people the media went to his apartment in the watergate hotel later that night and people said oh he his neighbor said oh he moved and then same with his property in nevada uh this the 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 chief of police Stephen sun said he took responsibility and he resigned but he also said that he was not supported in his calls by for reinforcements by his superiors. Then he asked the Department of Defense uh, in the middle of the afternoon and after the Capitol Police was Capitol was breached. Yes, yeah, some of the cops clearly were opening barricades and taking selfies with the the fascist mob. Others were fighting and they were losing in their fight. So Sun called the Department of Defense and said, please send National Guard. We're overwhelmed here. And the National Guard didn't approve the uh, release of troops. That didn't happen for another. The troops only showed up at 545, three hours and 30 minutes later. That's not explainable, except that there had to be and there was collusion. And this was an inside job from Trump and his team who instigated the seditious conspiracy, and they drew in the Department of Defense. Christopher Miller was the Trump appointee after Trump weirdly fired Mark Espert after the election. I mean, why would you do that if you weren't planning to perhaps use the military to challenge the election outcome? Uh, You know, all of those factors taken into account, I think, help explain the paralysis because The members of the government did not know how deep and how wide the seditious conspiracy actually was. How many police and what level of police forces, what level of military and military forces were involved? So I think the Congress and other parts of the state apparatus were, one, stunned by what happened. Uh, Secondly, they fear all the Republicans and their appointees including the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, who said nothing, or the the uh, Department of Homeland Security, who said nothing at the time. N- they haven't spoken, uh, except finally uh, the Department of Homeland Se- uh, uh, Security Secretary resigned. But they didn't speak in spite of the fact that the U.S. government was seized. Um, they, they are afraid of Trump. So that's point number two. The Republicans 
and their appointees were afraid of Trump. And and third, they didn't know uh, how far the conspiracy went, so there was fear. So shock, stunned, fearful, and afraid of Trump, fearful of the next round. And so this paralysis has now broken, and it's very, very interesting to analyze how it broke. Uh, the capitalist companies started to take action against Trump. Not all of them. Twitter said, we're not going to continue to allow you to use uh, Twitter to incite fascist violence. They didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what they meant, because that's, in fact, precisely what Trump was doing. Um, but then the big tipping point, I think, came uh, on the letter sent by the the chairman and all members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Pentagon, all eight generals who make up the Joint Chiefs of Staff, sent a letter to 1.3 million members of the armed forces. And I want to read a little bit from that letter. It says, and this is to the members of the military, the violent riot in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, was a direct assault on the U.S. Congress, the Capitol building, and our constitutional process. It goes on to say, basically, that the events at the uh, at the Capitol, what they called the assault on the U.S. Congress and the Capitol building, were the result of sedition and insurrection. They remind members of the military, that it's not only against, as they put it, the values, tradition, and oath that they took, it's also against the law, meaning that they will be criminally prosecuted. This is an amazing statement, and it comes as, and I'm going to just remind our audience again, that letter came just two days ago. Now, this uh, that letter comes just after the January 3rd letter from the 10 living secretaries of defense uh, who put out that extraordinary op-ed telling Christopher Miller at the Department of Defense and other members of the military that should they use the military to intervene to alter the election outcome during this transition process, that it would be a violation of the law. They were threatening them. Now, there's no reason that the secretaries of defense, including Cheney and Rumsfeld and all of them, Republican and Democrats, would unite to issue that kind of statement unless they knew that there were rumblings within the military about doing just that, using the military to overturn an election. So I think we have witnessed, you know, the dominant role of the Pentagon. We're well aware of it. It's the, you know, people genuflect in front of the Pentagon. That's where all of our money goes. More than 50% of the discretionary federal budget each year goes to the to the military. Civilian leaders are normally afraid to act unless the military says it's okay to act. I mean, that's the, you know, the militarism of American capitalism, which began with the creation of the military industrial complex, which only started in 1950. It didn't always exist. As a matter of fact, after World War II, the military demobilized. The permanent war machine was created at the start of the Korean War. And this military machine's power has grown and grown and grown. When Truman, by the way, uh, fired Douglas MacArthur, who was the leader of the U.S. war in Korea, when MacArthur wanted to invade China and drop nuclear bombs on China when the U.S. wasn't defeating North Korea, uh, which had allies in China, 
uh, Truman fired MacArthur and, and Truman was given, you know, a big salute that he stood up to that powerful general, Douglas MacArthur. What people don't remember is before he fired MacArthur, he got the permission of all of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said, yeah, get rid of him. And then Truman became big and bad and bold. I think what we're witnessing here is that when the U.S. military steps in and says, look, this is sedition and insurrection, and Joe Biden is the president-elect, and if anybody goes against it, you'll be uh, criminally, uh, you'll be held to uh, criminal standards, you'll be prosecuted, uh, then that gives a lot of leeway to others within the establishment to feel safer, that they can come out and oppose the fascists and oppose Trump. And this article, again, that we mentioned on Liberation News, uh, which was called The Paralysis Ends, Trump, Fascism, and the Capitalist State, it documents how the Pentagon played this role on January 12th, the same day that the FBI finally spoke, Nicole, they finally spoke. And instead of like, you know, arresting people for misdemeanors or asking the public to help identify the culprits after they, you know, the police let them go, didn't kettle them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the FBI press conference with uh, U.S. Attorney Michael Sherwin, it sounded a very different note at the same time the Pentagon was issuing this very strong statement. It did. And as I started listening to the briefing, you know, it it sounded like more of same for a few minutes. You know, yeah, well, we're arresting people. We're doing our job. We have all these cases open. And you're like, sure, sure. Uh, you know, like more from the Justice Department that they're not taking this seriously. And then and then they said this. The FBI working with the U.S. attorney's offices across the country and the crux of those being in D.C., we're looking at significant felony cases tied to sedition and conspiracy. Just yesterday, our office organized a strike force of very senior national security prosecutors and public corruption prosecutors. Their only marching orders from me are to build seditious and conspiracy charges related to the most heinous acts that occurred in the Capitol. So, Nicole, if the seditious conspiracy, and I'm going to read the, the law to us and to our audience, if two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, or to levy war against them, or to oppose by force the authority thereof, or by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States, such as the law and the process certifying the Electoral College, or by force to take, to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States, contrary to the authority thereof, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. So Donald Trump last night, as we listened to him, he said, oh, I'm not with those people. We're going to go after them. I'm the leader of the government. And that was a calamity. He's throwing them overboard because if there is a seditious conspiracy and people are going to be facing 20 years in prison, these fascists, who's the leader of the conspiracy? Who's culpable? Where did it come from? The Proud Boys didn't decide to have a rally at 12 noon at the Ellipse, 17 blocks from the Capitol. It wasn't the Proud Boys on the stage who said, March, fight like hell, don't show weakness. 
it wasn't the Proud Boys. It was Ru- Rudy Giuliani who said right before they set off on the Capitol, this will be trial by combat. Uh, Donald Trump is well aware that if seditious conspiracy charges are now coming against his minions, his frontline fighters, uh, they can easily come against him. That explains why Trump is now reeling, why he made all of those statements of contrition. So, Well, not really contrition. He's just throwing his allies overboard and pretending he's part of the law and order team now that wants to crack down on what happened. Uh, but it gives uh, a strength to all the other sectors of ruling class politics in America to finally stand up again after six days of paralysis. Right. Exactly. Brian, I think one really important component of this entire situation that has been covered to some extent in mainstream media, but uh, but hasn't really been put together in the coherent way that I think this article does and that I think you can is the extent to which this is increasingly clear that this was an inside job, that the extent to which, as you mentioned, um, it's increasingly clear that there were people at very high levels of authority, officials at very high levels of the government who were clearly involved in this. And that's, as you mentioned, one primary reason why the capitalist class, why the government, why officials were frozen for so long because they weren't sure how how high this went, who they could trust. So, Brian, I, I want you to outline for our listeners um, all of those pieces of evidence. Let's let's talk about how this was an inside job and how it's so clear at this point that that's the case. I mean, we don't have all the evidence yet, but what we what we see is is really is really pretty astounding at this point. Well, some of it we've gone over. So, you know, like the the idea that the FBI did not uh, give the reports earlier, the reports that they had that people were coming to declare war. Uh, all the police agencies were monitoring right wing chats like Parler and Gab, where people were talking about coming and seizing the Capitol. Uh, the police chief himself, the Capitol Police chief, was sent an Instagram a photo of people talking about their plans were to breach the Capitol. That was before before the thing happened. I mean, there was all that evidence. Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., asked for the National Guard to be uh, to be called up. Uh, that was denied. Then, as I mentioned, Stephen Sund, even after the Capitol Chief Police, even after uh, the place was in chaos and he was under siege and his troops were under siege, uh, you know, there was no additional um, approval given for the redeployment. That's inexplicable unless it's explicable, unless there's some reason. Uh, quite clearly, if Answer Coalition or the Black Lives Matter movement or any of progressive organizations seize the Capitol, uh, beat a you know police officer, uh, beat metropolitan police officers, drag them down the stairs, beat them with American flag poles hit one Capitol Police officer over the head with a fire extinguisher with a big enough blow that he died from his wounds. Uh, If people were planting pipe bombs, if all of that happened, there would be no possible way that reinforcements would not be immediately sent or have been deployed uh, earlier because they have all of this intelligence. The American surveillance state is so strong. Uh, by the way, it's so strong, in fact, that we all of us should oppose any move by Biden to to create a new anti-terror, domestic anti-terrorism law. All the laws they need are on the books to have stopped from happening what happened. Uh, they just didn't employ those laws because it was one, an inside job. 
And secondly, because this was a white racist mob, you know, white racist mobs have always played a decisive role in American politics. That's how the Reconstruction period after World War II, that little glimpse of black freedom uh, in Southern states after the Civil War, Reconstruction was ended uh, by mob violence. Uh, Jim Crow, which is the American police state, the fascist, the germ of American fascism was planted a long time ago uh, in the in the police state against in the fascist like methods used against African-American people in the South and in the North. And uh, the the uh, the enforcement of apartheid by the mob was very critically important in American history. Anyone who studies American history knows about that. I mean, thousands of people, literally thousands of people died from lynchings from in lynch mobs by white racist mobs. And they were an auxiliary to the sheriff. They were the auxiliary to the police department. They were the, the enforcement of racial codes and apartheid in a police state. They've had a decisive factor in American politics. Everybody who knows anything about American history knows all this. And, and so when you look at the big picture, you can't but come to the conclusion that this was one more example where police agencies of at different levels who are, you know, were part of the mob or winking at the mob, uh, they were part of it. And by the way, now, uh, you know, I know time is running short, but now members of the Congress are also pointing the fingers at the really right wing white supremacist and fascist or neo-fascist members of the Congress who are in uh, Congress who actually, they say, conspired beforehand with the uh, with the racist mob that they were doing uh, congressional tours that were basically reconnaissance missions on January fifth with groups of people much larger than those normally permitted in the Capitol. Uh, Ayanna Presley, one of the members of the squad, a black woman congresswoman, uh, she found out that while she was under siege with her husband in her office that the panic button, the button that Congress people can push if there's a crisis, that was ripped out ahead of time. Uh, anyways, those members of Congress are now asking for an investigation about what members of Congress also were working hand in glove with the uh, fascist mob. Right. We've got a little bit more information about those two components, Brian, that I think are really important. So I'm going to go ahead and play those right now. Um, this is this is Mikey Sherrill. She's a representative in Congress, and she went live on Facebook on Tuesday evening about the reconnaissance tours, so to speak, that you mentioned. Those members of Congress who had groups coming through the Capitol that I saw on January 5th, a reconnaissance for the next day. I mean, like she said, they were literally doing reconnaissance for the next day. She recognized those same people on the day after that on the assault. Um, and then this other uh, this other clip here, this is um, a local news affiliate of ABC, and they're reporting on the realization that you mentioned um, when Representative Ayanna Presley's staff uh, were in her office during the assault on the Capitol. And that was the time where they realized the entire mechanism, the entire full um setup of the panic buttons and their office had been taken out of the wall. And we've just learned that duress or panic buttons at Congresswoman Ayanna Presley's Capitol Hill office were removed. Staffers realizing this during the riots last week. Her communications director confirming this to News Center 5, saying the matter has been raised with the relevant agencies and is currently under investigation. That means somebody broke into her office, 
and ripped out the panic button that would allow her to signal authorities that there was a crisis. And, you know, there were other members of the the most right-wing extremist elements in, in the Congress, including some freshman Congress people who were announcing on Twitter exactly when Nancy Pelosi left the chamber uh, during the as the assault was taking place, meaning that uh, others in Congress are saying they she was actually re, this one Congresswoman right winger actually reporting on Nancy Pelosi's location. In other words, signaling the mob, which was obviously trying to find Pelosi, find Pence, find McConnell, find others and do them bodily harm. Right. I mean, there's literal evidence of this. There were there was a guillotine that was set up that the the fascists set up outside of the Capitol. Um, there were reports from Pelosi's staff of while they were trapped in uh, in Pelosi's office and Speaker Pelosi's office under the table, hi- you know, hiding from the these assaulters in the building. Um, they could hear these flagpoles and fists and other. Um, you know, heavy items being banged against doors. Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? We know she has staff. We'll find her. We'll find you. I mean, very clear evidence of of what was, you know, what the goal was here. And again, you know, I, I want to be really, really clear about how serious this was, how, um, how this wasn't just a group of people. Maybe I don't need to emphasize this, but I will anyway. There's, this wasn't just a group of people waltzing up to the Capitol you know, getting in, wandering around. Um, the the more evidence that is that comes out just shows how serious this was and how planned this was. People had homemade napalm. They brought illegal guns. They had, uh, I think everyone knows now, but um, there was a, a couple of people, at least one with zip ties, which are frequently used um, by law enforcement at demonstrations to as um, as handcuffs or can be used in other circumstances to take hostages. And, you know, this might sound outrageous, but when you hear clips of the crowd chanting, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence, there's a guillotine outside. People have uh, napalm and bear spray, which is uh, multiple times more powerful than uh, uh, than than mace. You know, you have to start putting these things together. A lot of the people who were there were QAnon, uh, you know, believers in this QAnon conspiracy theory. People had tweeted that this was the storm, which in in QAnon parlance is the day where theoretically Trump will come and execute his enemies. I mean, this was this was very, very serious. Yeah. Now the capitalist establishment has found its feet. The paralysis has come to an end as the article that we're talking about on Liberation News, uh, you know, talk, you know, sort of assesses and evaluates. I want to play, as we start to wind down, Nicole, as we get ready, I want to talk a little bit about how the capitalist corporations and banks are actually breaking from Donald Trump. There's a couple audio clips, and then let's listen to them, talk a little bit about that uh, before we close. So this is CNN reporting um, that Trump's longtime bank, very, very longtime bank, Deutsche Bank, will no longer do business with him. Here's the clip. Deutsche Bank says it will no longer do business with the president or any of his companies. You'll recall, of course, that Germany's largest bank was a lifeline for Donald Trump after a series of bankruptcies in the 1990s, when other financial institutions deemed him too risky. According to the New York Times, Deutsche has lent Donald Trump and his organization more than two and a half billion dollars over the years. This loss of funding, it's brutal for the Trump organization, which has been built on debt. 
The clearest sign yet, the money faucet feeding the Trump empire is being rapidly shut off or shut down. Nicole, uh, that's huge for Trump. I mean, Deutsche Bank and Signature Bank were the two banks when all the other U.S. banks said no to Trump, they wouldn't continue to lend to him because he was such a disaster as a business person. Trump was in bankruptcy three different times. He was kind of a failure, not kind of a failure, big failure in terms of his casinos and businesses and real estate endeavors. U.S. banks stopped lending to Donald Trump. They wouldn't extend debt. So Trump was able to make some sort of deal with Deutsche Bank and a German bank. And also Signature Bank is another bank that he depended on. He owes or he's gotten loans of more than $2 billion during that time period when he was facing severe financial crises from Deutsche Bank. And he owes Deutsche Bank $400 million. For them to stop lending to Donald Trump and the Trump organization at a time when the Trump brand is becoming a pariah, that's huge. That's huge. That also explains why Trump is pretending to be like now the law and order guy against fascists in his televised address last night. Uh, But it's not just Deutsche Bank and it's not just Signature Bank, Amazon, PGA, the Professional Golf Association, which was going to have its uh, prestigious 2022, it's one of the four majors in golf, 2022 tournament at at a Trump golf course in New Jersey. They canceled. Facebook, Twitter obviously have banned him. Shopify, Stripe, Reddit, Snapchat, Twitch, three colleges have broken ties or, re- or rescinded their honorary degrees. American Express, MasterCard, Morgan Stanley, AT&T, Comcast, Dow Chemical, Marriott International, Hallmark Cards. They're all joining the fight against fascism, Nicole, because of course, now that they know that Trump's days are numbered, uh, Trump, you know, curried their favor. He was useful to them, including media outlets like CNN and MSNBC, which have, you know, spent the last four years blaming Putin for Trump. They were the ones who made Trump a thing during 2016 and afterwards because uh, because they wanted better ratings and everything Trump said was recreational and fun and drew listeners. And then hating Trump was also fun. So they, they were just in it for the money, too. They still are. I mean, they're all capitalist corporations uh, pretending to be news outlets. But, you know, they're all now saying we're done with Trump because his brand has faded. And as a consequence, we see uh, the capitalists coming together and Trump being in real hot water. I want to end this program by going back to uh, the statement that we talked about that's on Liberation News, because While we oppose Trump and while we make sure that we emphasize the significance of a fascist movement and a fascist assault uh, against against the United States government and against the masses of people here in Washington, D.C., I mean, the Proud Boys are beating up and attacking black and brown people here for the last couple of months. While we emphasize the importance of it, we don't want, and it would be foolhardy to become the tail to the kite of the Democratic Party capitalist establishment, because it's precisely their failures uh, as a class and as political parties and political operatives that have opened the door to fascism. I mean, Ashley Babbitt, the woman who was killed uh, on January 6th, she was an Obama voter before. You know, 
61 million people have filed for unemployment insurance. Many small businesses have been ruined. Uh, the government, you know, didn't need to handle COVID this way. It's because all the money and the support and the help went to Wall Street. And that was a bipartisan affair. I want to go back to this article and I want to read to finish up a couple words from it. Biden says that in response to the events at the Capitol, he supports the passage of a new law on domestic terrorism. This is just a maneuver to dodge the core of the issue and would inevitably create a new mechanism for the state to target people's movements by falsely linking them, meaning us, to terrorism. With the laws already on the books, a criminal prosecution against Trump and his co-conspirators and the January 6th putsch could be initiated right now, crimes that carry heavy prison sentences. By arresting Trump, it would not by itself end the threat of fascist violence or the far-right political current in the United States. What is most necessary is for the people's movement, including those of us who consider ourselves to be socialists, to take up as a top priority the organization of an independent working class movement against fascism. The fight against the far rightists and fascists cannot be separated from the struggle for rent and debt cancellation, universal health care, guaranteed jobs and income, and so many other critical social demands. That's what we need to do, Nicole. We have to build a united front against fascism, but we have to also have a class-oriented program, anti-racist to its core, that focuses on both ruling class parties, demanding that the government do what it can do to use its vast resources to alleviate the suffering and misery of the tens of millions who are unemployed. And the new unemployment numbers just came out today. Unemployment is spiking. More than 900,000 new uh, uh, claims for unemployment insurance just in the last week. We have to fight like that. We have to fight in an all-rounded way. If we simply become an echo chamber for the Democrats, that won't solve any social problem and in fact opens up a political vacuum that fascism will fill. We have to build the people's movement and we can build the people's movement. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.